What's up, everybody? Welcome to a brand spanking new episode of A Yank and a Swede, a Premier League podcast. Happy Thanksgiving. I am your Swede, Sebastian Noren. With me is your Yank, Elliot Niblock. Yeah, I'm the one whose holiday actually usually gives thanks. What do you guys do in Sweden? You just drink gobble, gobble. fortified wine and talk about how cold it is? Um, yeah, I mean, as far as our holidays back home goes, Midsummer is the big one. Uh, oh, yeah. Next to Christmas. Uh, Easter, nah, maybe. Nah. Uh, Halloween is starting to come up more and more. Oh, yeah. I mean, everybody likes an excuse to dress up and eat candy yep. and or get drunk, depending on your age bracket and love for sugar. <laughs> yeah, that was true. And I mean, during my years here in the States, I have had the question asked, oh, so what do you do for Thanksgiving in Sweden? Like, you don't do anything. <laughs> uh, just think about what you just asked me <laughs> and then get back to me, okay? No, I've I've gotten the, what do you do on 4th of July? Oh, really? Oh, God. Uh, nothing. <laughs> no, we... We... <laughs> We make statues of George Washington and then we dance naked around it <laughs> and uh, light a fire. Yeah. So um, now what Thanksgiving? I mean, it's it it is what it is. We skipped Turkey this year. I got my father in laws here and uh, one of my best buddies from back home. They're here. Wait. So what did you do in lieu of Turkey then? Uh, barbecue. Oh, that's nice. So what we, kind of barbecue did you make? Like burnt ends, brisket. Uh, brisket and ribs, and we went to a place and picked it up. Ah, yes. so you didn't even have to make it yourself. I nice. just I made my own mashed potatoes. I did some uh, roasted Brussels sprouts with bacon, and uh, that was as far as I would go as far as cooking this year. Because <laughs> we've done the whole thing with you know brining the turkey overnight, yada yada yada, roasting it in the oven. It's just, it's so much work, and a lot of the times it's just too much food. Yeah. I mean, here we, you know, we went fairly conservative with our order, and it was, it, it planned out well. We got a little bit yep. of leftovers, but nothing, you know, we're, we're not forced to eat turkey sandwiches for the next week. <laughs> Although I do love the turkey sandwiches. That's one of my favorite things about it. But uh, one of my good friends, he, uh, he and his boyfriend have a tradition where they just, every year, they order way too much Chinese food, and they know it's way too much Chinese food, but they don't have to prepare it. It's still really good leftover, and it's, you know, nice little uh, way to spend the holiday. Just Netflix and Chinese. There you go. Yep, that's what... Uh, it's a new American tradition. <laughs> yeah, that, that's what I do, like, the day after Christmas. Oh, yeah. I'm like, yeah, Chinese <laughs> food, that sounds good. Do you know that this year, Boxing Day is, of course, the day after Christmas, is also Kwanzaa. I did not know that. Well, the more you know. And we'll be watching a lot of football on Kwanzaa. Yes, we will. Yeah, I mean, today it's all been about Black Friday. It started yesterday. Um, consumerism at its finest. I didn't even get out of bed. I did almost buy something online on my phone, but I didn't because, you know, hashtag resist. <laughs> well, it's been spread out now. So it's been like Black Friday week. So I'm already done. Like I got my Black Friday shopping done on Wednesday. Oh yeah, I uh, I'm a ter I'm a terrible Christmas shopper. I always wait until the very last minute. Although I did get I got a Hanukkah present early this year. I'm on top of that. Oh, there you go. <laughs> 
Yeah, I mean, that was stuff for myself. Christmas gifts, I'll order later. <laughs> <laughs> so, by you got your Black Friday shopping in, you mean you bought yourself a bunch of stuff for cheap and you haven't actually bought any gifts yet. Yes. <laughs> Bravo, Seb. That is very, very true. Okay, let's jump into the football, though. Uh, we're going to kick things off with the U.S. men's national team as we just coming back from that international break. And the U.S. played two games. They played both games in Europe. They lost against England 3 nothing. That was Wayne Rooney's last appearance for England. And then they lost one nothing to Italy. You know, and before we get it to the U.S. team itself, uh, I saw that Rooney caught some flack for that testimonial, which kind of surprised me. I mean, as a lifelong United fan and a man whose dog, you know, was Rooney's namesake, what what do you feel about it? I mean, did you think it was gratuitous? Did you think it was worthwhile? I mean, I, I can see why he's big enough that he sort of deserves a final game. Yeah. But at the same time, it, it takes something that's already, you know, a friendly is a friendly. But it takes it even one step further on that I could not care less scale. <laughs> Just be – you care even less because of the testimonial aspect yes, of it? pretty much. <laughs> I don't know. I that mean, makes it even more into like a, a – Cash grab? Yeah, and – yeah, it's it's weird, and I, I mean, it's good that he's donating a bunch of that money to charity and all that stuff, and you know, I have no complaints with that. But at the same time, it's it's a meaningless friendly, and now you're putting this whole Rooney. There's I don't know. I don't mind it, but at the same time, I didn't watch it. Like it, I think it's great. It did not appeal to me for f- five seconds. I was like, well, I rather watch something that actually. You know, mean have some form of meaning, even though my love for the nation's league isn't super high. Yeah, I mean, my love for the nation's league is non-existent. So, hey, you're welcome on the Sweden train. They actually won. <laughs> they, they turned it around. They've been playing like crap, and then they go and win the two final games. And then, hey, guess what? You're going to play in a better group next year or next time. Hooray! Yeah. So, but as far as the U.S. goes, two games, zero goals. Yeah. Uh, so, and I saw, um, you know, a bunch of op-eds talking about how this is the like lowest point the U.S. men's national team has been at in years. Oh, and shut up! Yeah, I know. They're, see, that's the thing is that they're 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 reactionary headlines. They're essentially clickbait. Right. And I I can understand why why people are frustrated, right? I'm frustrated. I think that the at board level, even though it's not, you know, obviously not the board organization of a club team, the fact that there is no permanent head coach is crazy. Mm-hmm. And I think that two consecutive defeats in the international break, also obviously bad. But let's keep in mind that we're playing against top teams in the shape of England and Italy. And against Italy, we kept a clean sheet for nine over 90 minutes. I mean, they only got their goal 
in stoppage time. And on top of that, I think another reason to be optimistic, and maybe I'm grasping at straws a little bit, but hey, you know, looking for things to be thankful for, that the U.S. men's national team U-20s won the CONCACAF championship for the second consecutive, like, they also, having won that CONCACAF championship, winning 2-0 against Mexico, having beat Mexico in the final previously as well, that this is a team that won that U-20 championship without the likes of Christian Pulisic, Josh Sargent, Tyler Adams, Cameron Carter-Vickers, all of whom qualify for the U-20, but all of whom were playing with the senior team. So, yeah, it's frustrating. Yes, we should be vocal about the problems with the U.S. men's national team and the U.S. Soccer Federation, but... That it's you know it's not all doom and gloom. Like I am optimistic about the future of this team moving forward, even though there is a lot of work to be done today. Yeah. So the U.S. beating Mexico, like you said, two nothing in the final. Both goals by Alexis Mendes. Playing for Freiburg. Yeah, and uh, I believe that he's... Is he on loan to Freiburg from LA Galaxy 2? I know he got his start there. I have no idea. His <laughs> his Wikipedia page is super sparse. <laughs> you you say that as though he's he's the one who's writing his Wikipedia page, which, let's be real, for a lot of... Oh, no, if you know, he wrote athletes it, in their late if, teens, if, they do that write their own Wikipedia yeah, if pages. if he wrote it, it would have been a lot better. Because this is basically, I'm going to read you his whole Wikipedia page. Oh, Alexis Alex Mendez, born September 6, 2000, is a Mexican-American soccer player who plays as a midfielder for SC Freiburg. Club career, Mendez made his professional debut in a 1-0 win against Orange County SC on August 3, 2017, coming on as a 34th-minute substitute for Andre Ulrich Sanga. International career. Mendes is playing for the U.S. men's national team under-20 squad, although he remains eligible to play for Mexico. Mendes scored both goals as USA defeated Mexico 2-0 in the CONCACAF under-20 championship on November 21, 2018 in Bradenton, Florida. That's Welcome it. to A Yank and a Swede, a sleepy time podcast. Yeah, that's if it. any of you are still awake. <laughs> that's his whole Wikipedia. Yeah, uh, I mean... Th- Regardless of the extent or meager nature of their Wikipedia entries, I still think that this U-20 team was exciting. There's reasons to be optimistic. If you can beat the... And yeah, I mean, U-20, it's a it's a youth team. It's glorified international peewee soccer. But, <laughs> but if you can what? beat Mexico at that level, then that means something. You know, like this is this is not just totally playing minnows and meaningless friendlies. Like this is a competition at the highest level. And when you have players who are playing in, for example, Germany, you know, like this is, this is reason to be optimistic. I'm not saying that the U S is automatically going to qualify for 2022. We already saw that we can't assume that in 2018. I'm not saying that we're suddenly going to be a heavyweight powerhouse, but I am saying it's not it's not all grim, dreary, blood-soaked, the U.S.'s terrible headlines. 
we've got reasons to be optimistic. Yes. And I mean, we've spoken about this before. We're seeing a lot of young players coming through here now. And that's going to take time. So for these sensational headlines to come out that it's, you know, their lowest. I mean, that's just ridiculous. I think that Tyler Adams is going to be the best box-to-box midfielder in U.S. men's national team history. And I will stand by that. And I think that a decade from now, he will be one of the all-time greats and we'll all be saying, Michael Bradley, who's that? Yeah, that might very well be true. I mean, he's only 19, so um, there's definitely uh, opportunities ahead of him. Yeah, I think that the real question is going to be how his development goes and how long he decides to stay in MLS because he's already garnering some interest from abroad and as well he should be. But I I would really like to see him make a move abroad. Um, you know, it's it's tricky because I think that on the one hand, I respect the idea of being loyal to a club and so if the Red Bulls don't win the MLS Cup this year, which they still may, then, you know, I can see an argument for him sticking around. But especially if New York managed to lift the trophy at the end of this season, boy, you've, you've done everything there is to do in this league. If the Red Bulls win, he's got to move on. Yeah. He's got to move on. Well, but I mean, we'll that's sort of what I think about a lot of these younger players, like an Adams, 19 years old, uh, Will trap. He's twenty five already. He should get. Yeah. He should get moving. Kellen Acosta should get moving. I just. I don't. Honestly, I hate to say it. I mean, <laughs> I'm thirty two years old, Zeb. Like, I'm not one to be talking about mid twenties being over the hill. And yet, when it comes to development, because we've got to, you know, there's. It's good that we're playing against teams like England and Italy, but. We want to hold ourselves to that level. We don't want to be happy with just keeping a clean sheet for the majority of the match. We want to be moving forward. And in order to do that, they've got to be playing at that higher level earlier. I think that Will Trapp is over the hill when it comes to his development. I'm sorry, but he is... There's a reason that I said Tyler Adams and not Will Trapp about that box-to-box midfielder of the future. I don't think that Will Trapp is ever going to develop to that level. I think that Tyler Adams has already shown that, for me, currently, he's at a higher level than Will Trapp is, and his ceiling is way higher, but he's got to go you know, where the air is rare in order to realize that ceiling. And I want to see Tyler Adams playing maybe in Germany, maybe in Italy, even in Portugal you know, next year in order to see him progress the way that I really think he can. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we'll see how things shake out here in the future. Let's move over to the Premier League here and the fixtures ahead of us this weekend. For some reason, unbeknownst to me, we don't have an early game on Saturday. Instead, we have six games that kick off at 10 a.m. Eastern. And then we have a one game at 12.30, and that's the game that we'll start talking about since that is... A super hyped up London Derby between Tottenham and Chelsea. Yeah, that is the fixture of the weekend. Let's let, make no mistake about that. And you know, Chelsea. I'm. 
Sneaky undefeated. Yes, sneaky uh, undefeated. But one thing that I don't understand here is Maurizio Sorry coming out and saying that Chelsea cannot catch Manchester City. Yeah, I don't understand that either. Why would you say that? I I mean, I un- I understand wanting to keep like wanting not to overhype, wanting to keep expectations reasonable. But no, I mean, <laughs> just just no. Like, look at the table. You're only four points behind. In theory, two matches. But no, I mean, we're not even. We're what? This is match day thirteen. So we are just now, just barely a third of the way through the season. No, yeah, you, you you can't come out saying that. No, I mean, and he, he's sort of comparing it to he's taking last season into account that. You know, Chelsea wouldn't be able to recover 30 points, uh, you know, as far as they finished behind City last season. Well, and let's be honest. I think he's right. I just think that he's wrong to say it. Yeah. You know, and uh, I... I It's it's of two things here. Either the players, they don't really care what you're saying, so they don't pay any attention to it as far as what you say out in the media. Or they'll take it as a, oh, you know what? We're, we're going to do it. We're going to do it. Yeah. Or it's going to be like, well, if he doesn't think we're going to do it, why should I even try? Yeah. And I'd, and the thing is, it's one thing to say that in general, but especially when you have the kind of tricky situation with Hazard that they have at the moment. Is he going to stay? Is he going to go? You know, you don't, you don't want to be broadcasting – a sense of defeatism when you're trying to hang on to your marquee all-star, you know, I, I think he's a great manager. I think that Chelsea should be happy to have him. I still think that he really put his foot in his mouth on that one. Yep. No, I absolutely agree with you there. Um, From a Spurs perspective here, if we take a look at the table, like we said, Chelsea sneaky good, undefeated so far. They are sitting in third place, twenty-eight points. Spurs one point behind. Yeah, big although, six-pointer. Yeah, although we haven't talked, we haven't talked about them as being anywhere near sneaky good. Uh, Twelve. Well, they twelve games I mean, in, nine wins, three losses, only twenty goals scored. 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 Harder guards scored yeah, no, I mean, I think that Tottenham, they're, I mean, it, it, but it's it's born out in that record, right? They are an eminently beatable team, and that is bespoke by the fact that they have no draws this season. Yeah. They're the only team in the Premier League without a draw. And on the one hand, yeah, you can't really be too upset with that when you're it's sitting in fourth place, three points ahead of your arch rival. Yeah, that, like they've got to be somewhat happy with that. But they're they're a team that doesn't instill fear in the opposition in the way that you would like if you're a Spurs fan. No, and it, at least beforehand they were scoring goals by the handful. Now you know in their last four wins, they're won four out of the last five. There's been one nothing against Cardiff, one nothing against West Ham. Then they lost one nothing to City. And then there was three two to Wolves, and then guess what? One nothing away to Crystal Palace in the last game. Yeah. 
Yeah, no, they're they are they've often I mean, they've always kind of been the team that will go as far as Harry takes them. And I mean, he's not if if he's not scoring like he is arguably the greatest striker in the world, then they're not as strong a team. And I'm sorry. I mean, I've got time for Deli Ali, but I don't think that he is the backbone of this team. I don't think that anyone can tell me that they are anything but the Harry Kane show. And even though his supporting cast of characters in Ericsson and Kane and Vertonghen, et cetera, are very strong. For me, they're always going to be the the more talent around him version of the Gareth Bale Spurs in that this is the all-star. He does what he's going to do. How well is he going to do? They're going to go that far. And I, I think that's honestly, and you know, again, obviously everybody knows that I'm an Arsenal fan, so it's not pure objectivity here, but I do think that that is part of the reason that they are continuing their trophy drought, despite having a strong squad is that when you are so reliant on one world-class player who is, no one's arguing, world-class, then it's a little harder to be lifting that silverware. And that's why the cabinet's still gathering dust. Yeah, yeah so Man City, Liverpool also play at 10 a.m. Um, like we said, 12.30 for Spurs, Chelsea. But 10 a.m. fixtures, Man City and Liverpool are number two teams. Playing at 10 a.m. The Liverpool game, however, is on NBC Sports Gold. Man City, you can still catch on regular TV. Liverpool, NBC Sports Gold. Same goes for United that plays Crystal Palace, Fulham, Southampton, Everton, Cardiff, and Brighton, Leicester. So, Sunday, we got two games. See, we got an early game here. Sunday. That's when you yeah, want. it is bizarre. I don't know what the logic is behind the no early kickoff tomorrow. Yeah. So Bournemouth against Arsenal, 8.30, and then Wolves-Huddersfield at 11. So Arsenal, three straight draws in the league. Bournemouth, you know, on a little bit of a mini slump here now, two straight losses. Winnable game? Oh, definitely. And I think that this is also a moment in which Arsenal really have to put their stamp on the season. And I mean, because they're by no means in the midst of, you know, like they still have maintained the undefeated streak, but three consecutive draws and also a less than stellar away record on the whole. This is a game in which Unai Emery really wants his defense to show up. I think he's limited in the defensive solidity just by the fact that Xhaka and Mustafi are never going to be, speaking of Harry Kane as world-class, they're never going to be anywhere close to world-class. And we're going to continue to bleed goals, but I do think that you're going to be looking for the team to be a little better organized coming off of the break. A clean sheet would do wonders for Arsenal's confidence at this point, I still am not confident in us actually keeping that clean sheet, but this is a winnable game. Anything less than all three points will be a major disappointment for Emery and for Arsenal. Okay. Then um, Monday, we also have a game Burnley against Newcastle. 
Woo! Boy, lighten up the uh, headlines there yep. with a star-powered fixture. And uh, guess who wants uh, January signings? Rafa Benitez. Oh, God, of course he does. So yeah. uh, Rafa says Newcastle must add to squad despite recent turnaround. I mean, they're, speaking of being sneaky undefeated, they are sneaky only one point above the relegation zone. So, yeah. <laughs> if but I was the, Rafa, I would be asking. But to at the same time, the I mean, they, they just, they got two, their two first wins of the season back to back here in the yeah. latest two games, which has seen them gone up quite a bit in the table. Uh, but yeah, I can understand that he wants signings, but really, is the squad that poor? And what are I you, mean, what are you bringing in here, really? He's he's doing the not okay. Let me preface this by saying I have more respect for Rafa than Mourinho, but he's doing the Mourinho right. He's playing the media. He's kind of hedging his bets in case they ultimately do collapse and get relegated, which again, they're not that far away from that territory. Then he can point to late November and say, ah, I told you six weeks to go before the window opened. And I said, we needed signings and you didn't sign anyone. So it's not my fault. Yeah. Maybe I'm overly cynical in that, but I don't think so. (laughs) Oh, I, if Newcastle would fail and he would get ultimately get sacked, he would never take responsibility for that. He would blame someone else. Oh, yeah, definitely. And I, I don't think that he's quite the scapegoat whore that Jose is, but he would definitely be uh, looking to have the blame on another set of shoulders. Oh, yeah. I'm not sure that he would throw a bunch of players out of the bus like a Mourinho. Yeah. No, <laughs> but he would uh, he would definitely pass the buck on on the blame there. That's for sure. Mourinho is the special one when it comes to many things, especially bus under throwing. Yeah, and I mean, if we just we can sort of finish with that actually, um, with just Mourinho, because we got reports that he's you know questioned the character on some of his players. That, that they're too soft, that they're being coddled, that there were more men growing up when he grew up. I mean, that you know, that last comment in particular, I think, is telling about where he is. And I've drawn this parallel on the show in the past in that the heated rivalry between he and Arsene Wenger is one of the great things about the game in the early aughts, but... The way the game has passed both of them by in the past decade, both of them are just kind of clinging to an outmoded philosophy. And yeah, you know, it it makes total sense that he would be griping about like, well, back in my day, players weren't. Yeah, because your day has passed, Jose. And back in my day, we would. (laughs) We didn't have any food. We ate wood. Our beer was made from slug juice. Yep, exactly. Oh, yeah. No, but it's sad. And, you know, I'm so tired of talking about Mourinho, really. Yeah. Um, And just all the negative effects he has on this team. 
and he's been criticized for these latest comments, rightfully so. And, you know, it's just, when is this going to stop? I mean, it's not going to stop until he, until he leaves. Yeah. I mean, that's really, the, just the bite, bite the bullet and pay him off. I know it's easy for me to say I'm not the one gonna, that's going to be paying him the money. But at the same time, he's hurting this club. He's hurting the reputation of this club. Yeah, and the coffers are not exactly shallow. Nope, they're not. And then we should say congratulations to Sadio Mane and Angola Kante. They've both signed new deals with their clubs. Uh, Kante is staying on until 2023. That's the same as Mane. Um, I haven't been able to dig up any numbers yet, but I'm assuming it's for a great deal of money. Oh yeah, and I uh, I didn't see the exact numbers on um, on the the Mane deal, but I know that Conte's contract is worth nearly three hundred thousand pounds a week. I think two ninety is what I saw. Um, but it, it's, this is what's also interesting. You know, talking about Sari earlier in the context of wanting to hang on to Hazard. If Ma, if uh, Conte, excuse me, is on two ninety, uh, when you when you look at their star power around the world, the jerseys that they sell, when you look at also their impact on the pitch itself, I mean, N'Golo Conte is for me the the best defensive midfielder in the world, I think. But it, despite that, you know, goals have a price tag, and if he's on 290, do we think Hazard would be getting 400? If I'm Hazard's agent, I say, you've got to be paying my client 400,000 pounds a week. Now, speaking of deep coffers, they have pretty deep coffers at Stamford Bridge as well. We'll see whether they're willing to dredge up that cash. And we'll also see whether Hazard isn't just tempted by a new challenge. Because, you know, he's at a point in his career when his stock is really high if he's ever going to go to another club, the time is now. And, you know, I started the show talking about loyalty in the context of Tyler Adams and the Red Bulls. And I'm going to finish it talking about Eden Hazard, right? You know, he is a champion with Chelsea. Does he want to make that his legacy or does he want a new challenge? I think that we're in an era in which, you know, look at Ronaldo at Juventus in the twilight of his career. We're in an era when the new challenge has become the norm, but there's something to be said for, you know, cementing your legacy at a club and becoming a legend. And it's really it's really in Hazard's court. Does does he want to do that depending on the difference in price tag for his contract? Is it worth that much more to him? We'll see. But I think that really we talk about money so frequently and yeah, the modern game is saturated with it, but a lot of it comes down to what kind of player do you want to be? Do you want to be remembered in a numerous different contexts in different countries and different clubs? That's fine. Or do you want to cement your legacy at one place and know, you know, you can walk around Southwest London and, have a beer at every table that you go to. Yeah, it's up to you. Still think he could do that, even if he yeah. left this summer. 
Oh, well, yeah, that's fair. <laughs> but, uh, I mean, but you, you understand what I'm saying. Oh, yeah, though, absolutely, right? absolutely. No, and I, I do think that we'll, we'll see him move on in the summer. I think that Real Madrid challenge would be uh, something that he would be interested in. So, yeah. But we still got to get through silly season in January before we get to silly season in the summer. Your favorite time of the year. Yep. And, uh, <laughs> I gotta get you an advent calendar for like the silly season. Yeah. <laughs> Counting yeah. down to January first. <laughs> yep. Okay, with that we're gonna say goodbye for this episode. As always you can follow us on Twitter. I'm Seb Norin. Elliot is Keats was better. Then give one Yank one sweet a follow as well. And uh, enjoy your Thanksgiving weekend here. I hope that you know you get to eat your turkey sandwiches and lay on the couch and who knows, maybe go fight some old lady for a TV or something. No, thanks. There you go. Uh, <laughs> until next time, have a good one. Bye-bye.